The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com. So would you agree that it's easy sometimes to take amazing things very casually? It's easy to take amazing things very casually. A lot of people say, I know God, and then they talk about what he's like. And it is so different from the way he describes himself in Scripture. It's almost like a guy saying, hey, have you met my wife? She's like this. And, and we know, no, she's not. What is God like? We have to know about him. We have to know what he's like from Scripture so that we can actually know the real God. Does that make sense? We have to know about him, what he loves, what he cares about, what he wants, what his attributes are like. So number one. God's revealed himself, number two. It's incredibly important to know about him. But this leads to the next danger. Okay, so one danger, somebody could say, I know God, then you hear what they believe and you're like, what if that's not the real God? The other danger is, I know everything the Bible says about this God. The danger is, if you stop there, isn't it possible to know about someone and not know them at all? This is the danger for most of the people like us. We go to church, we probably all know some things about God. But the question that hits the heart is, do you know him relationally? Do you know him personally? And the entire point, as we're gonna see today, of God revealing himself and showing us what he's like so that we can know about him is not so that we stop there on knowing about him, as important as that is. We have to know him personally. We have to know him relationally. And so that's why we're going through this sermon series. We wanna see what God has said about himself. We wanna know about him. And all that's to add up to what? So that we can know him personally. So our sermon today is the God who wants to be known. And we're gonna see five aspects of what it means to know God. We're gonna start here. Five aspects of what it means to know God. And we're going to find this from the prophet Jeremiah. The prophet Jeremiah. Just a little bit of background in the prophet, uh, the context of this book. The nation of Israel is a total wreck. They've been exiled. They've been given God's law. They've been given God's presence. They didn't want it. They turned away from it. They're a total wreck. Babylon, the nation has come, taken over them. And so now... Um, existence as an Israelite is you're not even home anymore. Now you're in Babylon and it's a mess. Towards the end of the book, Jeremiah starts to give hope. It won't always be like this. God's going to bring us back. God's going to change things. But I want to I show you just a little bit. Here's one reason why it's such a mess. Look at Jeremiah 51, 17. I love verses like these. It's a wonderful compliment to each one of us. Isaiah 51, 17. Fill in the blanks with me. Every man is stupid. Thank you, Jeremiah. And without knowledge. But why? In what way? Look at the next phrase. Every goldsmith is put to shame by his idols. For his images are false and there is no breath in them. So in this verse, in, in what way are people stupid and have no knowledge? They're worshiping the wrong gods. 
The ones they think they're gods aren't actually gods. The things they're living for aren't actually worth living for. The thing that they're devoted to, it's not actually what you should be devoted to. They have no knowledge of God, who he is, or relationally with him. You know, you can know, you can really know a lot about something and then not know it at all. Imagine I'm holding a bicycle pedal, okay? And imagine we really know bike pedals around here. What's the top like? It's flat, right? It's got some grooves in it for traction. The other side is the same. It's uh, wider than it is thick, and it's got a little thing on the side so it can, so it can spin. And uh, aren't you glad you came to church today because you're remembering the true beauty of a bike pedal. And so you knew how to make bike pedals, and uh, you know how to make them spin right and how big they should be and how much traction and what material to use for where you put the foot. What if that's all we knew was the bike pedal? And we had no concept of the bicycle. Because you could know everything about the bike pedal, but if you don't know what it's for, do you really know what bike pedals are about? What is a bike pedal for? It's to move the bicycle. In the same way, you could know everything there is to know about science. You could know everything there is to know about literature. You could know everything there is to know about a sport or about your field or about psychology, or about relationships. But if there is such a thing as God, who made all things for a purpose, no matter what you know about this or that or the other thing, if you don't know God, do you really know what it's for? Do you really know what it's about? It's like being an expert in the bike pedal without a concept of the bicycle. Knowing God is the key to knowing what life is all about. And if we, don't know, if we don't know God, we're out of whack with reality. So that's where we're at in Jeremiah. That things are coming apart in part because people do not know the true God. And in Jeremiah 31, we see this promise of hope for the future. This promise of hope. And you're gonna see God's gonna say, not only do I want to be known, God is actually going to say, I'm going to be known. I will be known. I will make sure my people know me. Amazing. So as we go through this, I think we're going to see five aspects of knowing God. This is what it's like to have a relationship with the real God who made everything. This is the, um, this is the road to knowing God. These are the ingredients or the pieces of what it means to truly, actually know the living God. And how do we know this? It's not because I'm making it up, I hope. I hope to show you that. I'm, I'm not inventing this. How do we know this is how to know God? Because God has said, this is how you know me. So we're gonna hear it right here from his word. Five aspects to knowing God. Let's begin. Jeremiah 31, verse 31. Jeremiah says, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new, what? I'll make a new covenant. So the first thing you see is, if you're gonna know God, guess what you need to be ready for? It's a covenant. To know God is to be in covenant with God. Now we need to unpack that. What on earth does that mean? What does it mean to be in covenant? 
I think a, a clear way to sum it up would be with these two words. Clear commitment. Clear commitment. Or if you want to try different ones, legal loyalty. Clear commitment. Legal loyalty. Uh, let's go with the easy one first. Commitment. What do we mean by commitment? Devotion, dedication, or like I said, loyalty. You're invested in this relationship. It's important to you. It's a value to you. It's of primary importance. Commitment. Okay, what about the part of being clear or legal? Well, um, when God wants to know people, he, he writes up, he actually writes up covenant documents. And the clarity is, God says, this is who I am. This is what I'm going to do. This is who I'm going to be to you. And not only that, God says, this is who you are. This is what I'm going to do for you. And this is what I want you to do. There's a covenant document. It's really clear. Anybody ever remember, or maybe you're there right now, when you were dating someone? It's a horrible thing, isn't it? Uh, have you ever been in a place where you needed the DTR? Anybody know what that is? Anybody, some of us are too old for this. You need the DTR, maybe too young, maybe this is old people talk. I don't know. DTR is define the relationship, okay? Define the relationship. Dude wants to go out to dinner. Dude smiles in a certain way. Dude hangs out with you. You do this for a couple months. Dude's not saying what's up. Dude's not telling you what he's about. And you're thinking, what's up? What are you about? And it's incredibly frustrating. It's incredibly frustrating. Uh, we, we, we treat our relationship with God like that sometimes. I think people do. People in America do. Oh, what is God to you? Eh, you know. Well, who are you to God? Eh, I pray at night. Is that it? Is that what it means to know him? God gives a covenant. God will never leave you without the DTR. He always defines the relationship, he tells you exactly who he is, exactly what he will be for you, exactly his commitment to you, exactly what he wants from you. God makes covenants. He's a covenant God. This is what it means to know him, is to be in covenant with him. God doesn't do casual dating worship. He does covenantal relationship. Uh, just to help us feel this out, are, are, are there any human relationships where, the, where we do this anymore? Any human relationships we have where we make a covenant with one another? The hint's in the text, isn't it? Uh, in verse 32, God says, Not like the covenant I made with their fathers, the covenant they broke, though I was their husband. Covenant reminds us of uh, marriage. I think marriage is the major human relationship where we have covenants like this. We don't really do it in friendship. So when you, you have a friend, did you go up with like a document? to your friend, and maybe did you bring your pastor along and say, hey, I really would like to be friends with you. Uh, here's the covenant document for our friendship. Can we have a ceremony? In fact, I'd like to invite all of you over because um, I have a friend, and me and my friend are really gonna let everybody know how, how much we're gonna be friends. And uh, we're gonna have somebody sign it. Of course you don't do this with your friends. You don't do this with your friends, but what do we still do even in, even in this culture? What do we still do when we get married? Oh, I've stood up here with some of you. I've stood in that moment with some of you. 
I remember being in that place myself. I didn't say, oh, I'm going to be your vague relational companion for a while. I said, I'm going to be a husband to you, to love and honor and cherish you until death do us part. So help me God. And all the people in the room said, amen, we saw it. In the same way, my wife said, I'm going to be this and I'm going to do this. Amen, we saw it. God's here, he saw it. Pastor signed it. It's legal. It's a clear commitment. We made a covenant. Folks, that's the kind of God we have. To know God is to be in covenant with God. And that is the way to know him. There's not a no God without the commitment. There's not a no God without the clarity. This is the way to know God, the clear commitment of covenant, which is why, why is the Bible so important to us? Now, what do you call the first two-thirds of the Bible? It's not a trick question. It's in the index. Old Testament. Where's that word testament come from? Anybody? You like words? It's a Latin word used to translate the, uh, the word, can you guess, covenant. And what do we call the, the last one-third of the Bible? The New Testament, New Covenant. The Bible's really knowing God, part one. Then knowing God, part two. What's the Bible about? Know me. The Bible is our covenant document. This, this is how we know what it means to know God which is why we want to treasure this. We want to understand it. If we have doubts, if we have questions, we want to, we want to work through those. We want, to, we want to study it. We want to come to answers because the way to know God, God has told us, this is the way he makes a covenant with us. So that's the first aspect to know God. If you want to know God, get ready for a covenant. Second thing, and this one's actually kind of devastating. The second thing is a heart change. You want to know God? We need a heart change. Look at verse 33. Jeremiah 31, verse 33. Jeremiah says, God says through Jeremiah, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will, what's he gonna do? I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will write it on their hearts. Why do you think God needs to give Israel a new covenant? And why do you think the new covenant involves the heart? We have an answer back in verse 32. Remember there, God said, I'm going to make a covenant with my people, not like the one I made with their fathers when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they, what did they do with the first one? They broke, though I was their husband. So the problem with the first covenant is, they broke it, and why do you think they broke it in context here? Their hearts. And if you remember the stories of the old covenant, God saves Israel out of Egypt, right, out of slavery, takes them through the wilderness, takes them through the promised land, miracles, his law, his truth, his presence, his salvation, his deliverance. I mean, what more? You read through these stories. What more could God do? There he is saying, I want to be your God. You can be my people. And what do they continue to do over and over and over again, even though he's given them everything? They say, no, I don't want it. I don't want it. I don't want it. And this reminds us the biggest barrier to knowing God is not that he's so high and far away. It's not that he's so difficult to understand. The biggest barrier to knowing God 
is that we don't want to. The biggest barrier to knowing God is that we don't want to. Even if you've been, even if you've been a Christian for decades and decades, would you say in your heart that you've pursued knowing God in the way he deserves? Or have you kind of been like, meh? Even for those of you who believe the Bible is God's word, you would say, you believe this. Um, wouldn't you also then say, some of us, I haven't read it for a while. It's amazing we can do that, isn't it? We would say the most important thing is knowing God. How much, how much effort have you put into it? Already we see, what's a problem, what's a problem with our heart? We're not even quite yet to where we want what we should. It started, right? It started, I want more of what I should than I used to. I think God's changed my heart, but it still needs to grow. And we're just reminded here, the major problem with knowing the true God, the real God of Scripture, is not that he hasn't revealed himself. It's that we're not sure we want to know him. I love what C.S. Lewis writes in Mere Christianity. Look at this quote. C.S., good old Clive Staples, says, In God you come up against something which is in every respect immeasurably superior to yourself. Right? Unless you know God as that, and therefore know yourself as nothing in comparison, you do not know God at all. As long, he says, as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people, and of course, as long as you're looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. Uh, the barrier to knowing God is prideful hearts. It's a prideful heart. I don't value God like I should. I value myself or I valued something in his place. And I, and I we kind of don't like his authority because the whole God thing being he's God. And then what if he says, well, this? And what if we don't like, well, that? And then we have to answer, well, is he God or not? Is he God or not? And so the key here, the second piece of knowing God is a changed heart. It's a humble heart to hear what he says and to receive it. But the good news here is in this point is that God wants to be known so passionately, he's actually going to change hearts. God says the same thing through his prophet Ezekiel, the counterpart of Jeremiah. Look what God says in Ezekiel 36, 26, but a wonderful promise. And I will give you, what's he gonna give? A new heart, a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. And the heart of flesh here is, is to start to see God for who he is, humble our pride and say, you're God and I'm not and I wanna know you for who you are. I wanna know you for who you are. It's a changed heart. And so then the test of this is in Jeremiah. Back in Jeremiah 31, 33, God says, I'll give them a new heart and I will write my law on their heart. So what does that mean? It's a great image. Of course, it's not literal. It's not a tattoo on the aorta. 
Your heart, your heart is the central core of self. It's what you love. It's what you want. And so God, for God to write his law on your heart means to know your heart's been changed and you've been humbled before him, you start to love what he loves. You start to want what he wants. His law and his commands, you know, at first they can feel like a burden, like a straitjacket, controlling. But when your heart is changed and you become humbled to him, his commands are less of a burden, less chains, and more delight on, oh yeah, this is what I was made for. This is what the good life is. This is what I, I want. I start to want what God wants for me. So, so ask yourself as you're walking through this. This is what the biblical God says about himself. He says, I want to be known. I want to be known. And the offer to know him is universal, as we're going to see. It's to anybody. But here's how you know him. Number one, we're making a covenant. We are making a covenant. It's a clear commitment. God's committed to us. We're going to be committed to him. And number two, I'm going to change your heart. I'm going to change your heart. So I guess questions we each need to ask is, has your heart been changed? Do you want your heart to be changed? And the picture of this, the evidence of it, is where you're at with his law. When he says, hey, this is what I'd like you to do, is it, oh, ridiculous rules, or is it, God, help me to see how this is the good life. This is it. This is what life's all about. Way to know God is covenant. Second way to know God is a heart change. Third aspect to knowing God, verse 34, forgiveness. Look at this great promise, verse 34. God says, I will forgive their iniquity, I will remember their sin no more. Another barrier to knowing God is the record of wrong that we've done. Just to make this as terrible as it can possibly be, it's not just the bad things you've done. I'm really scared of the record of the good things that I haven't done. Anybody have a list of those? Good things you know you're called to do and you're, mm, I don't want to. Uh, you know, that, that command from God to love your neighbor as yourself. It's one thing, boy, it'd be, it'd be bad enough to just to read that as, you know, don't hit people, don't curse at people, don't gossip about people, don't do negative things to people, right? That's one way to read it. But even if we aced that one, A plus, we still got the entire other side of, is if you're gonna love your neighbor, it's not just what you won't do, it's what you will do. Have you been with them? Have you served them? Have you encouraged them? Have you met needs? Have you been generous? Have you listened? Have you engaged? Whew. And that's when we think of our sin and the barrier that that sin is to God. And if you think this is harsh or judgmental, I don't know. I don't know. Do any of you, you got a friend, if that friend started doing something, is there something so awful and so terrible that if that friend continued to do it, it would end your friendship? Is there anything like that for you? So you're telling me that there's a certain kind of sin that if that person continued to do, you would no longer be friends with them? I think there's something like that for each one of us. Each one of us. So then, can we judge God for being the same? Our, our problem isn't that God is a curmudgeon or that he's grumpy. Our problem with God is that he's so good and he loves goodness and truth and love and beauty perfectly and so passionately and you know how it is with love once you love something that means you also hate its opposite anybody in here got kids i can feel this one you love your kid well guess what that means i know what you hate 
If somebody tried to hurt your kid, what's coming out? Mama bear, right? Roaring lion. Hatred, rage. It's not because you're a hateful person necessarily. It's actually because you're a loving person. You love your kid. God loves what is right. He loves people made in his image and he loves it more than we can bear, which means he hates sin and evil and wickedness. He hates it, which is why this, this phrase is such good news. What is God gonna do with all our sin? He's gonna forgive it. He's gonna count you as if you never sinned. He's gonna count it as if you always did what was right. He's gonna count it as if you never did what was wrong. He's going to remember your sins no more in this promise. So what's the third thing you need to know God? You need to be forgiven. You need to be forgiven. It's for the sake of relationship, isn't it? I know I'm using a lot of personal illustrations, but occasionally, very rarely, I'm a jerk to my wife. You say something you shouldn't say, right? Has anybody, there's gotta be two or three of us in the room. Can you relate? Anybody? Thanks, thanks. It's a couple of us. The rest of you are amazing. I don't know how you do it. There's a couple of us. And um, I need to be forgiven, right? I need to be forgiven. I'm sorry I said that. I shouldn't have said that. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Of course, my wife is wonderful. She is. She always forgives me. But the point of that process is not just to be forgiven, right? Forgiveness, forgiveness is great, but it's second level great. Because think of forgiveness like a doorway. Why do I want to be forgiven? It's so I can walk back in to relationship. That's what forgiveness is for. So I can walk back into relationship. And so when God says, I'm going to remember your sins no more, it's not so we can hang out there on the forgiveness level. It's so we can walk through the door of forgiveness into Knowing him. We are welcome into his presence to know him because we've been forgiven. Isn't that great? Three things we've seen so far. God knows through, we know God through covenant. We know God, what was the second one? Through a heart change. Third one, we know God through forgiveness. Fourth, we know God intimately. Intimately. Look at what he says in verse 33. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Uh, any of you grammar people, what do we call these things? Possessive pronouns. I will be what? Their God. And they will be what? My people. What do you think of pronouns like this? What do you think of relation? Uh, relational program, uh, pronouns like this. How, how many people have, uh, me, and, me and Zeke, I know I'm killing it with personal illustrations today, I'm sorry. Zeke's my two-year-old, have you met him? Illegally cute, off the charts cute. He and I have a little game sometime. Um, he'll say, my mama, and I'll say, no, that's, that's my Marsha. I'll say, no, that's my mama. How many people in the room can say to Marsha, my Marsha? 
Not many. Right? Not many. But there are a couple who can. There's a couple who can. Do you hear what God just said when he says, I want you to call me. What does he want you to call him? Oh, holy judge of the earth. Yes, that's a true title. It is. And he wants you to call him my God. My God. Doesn't it almost sound too prideful to say it? How can you say of God that he's yours? Because he's God. And for you to say, it's my God. Of course, we don't mean that you own him anymore. Well, maybe Zeke doesn't mean that. He shouldn't. It doesn't mean you own him or you dominate him, but it means that he has made such a commitment to you. And he has come so near to you that he actually wants you to have this kind of a relational understanding where you say, he's mine. He's always there for me. He always listens to me. He always remembers me. He never forgets me. That's my God. That's so different than just knowing about God, isn't it? It's so different. It's actually knowing him. And that's what God says he wants. He is going to be known intimately. And it's for everyone. Look at verse 34. No longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For as God looks at this community he's going to make, they shall all know me. And what kind of people does that include? From the least to the greatest, declares the Lord. So do you have to have a master of divinity to know God? Do you have to, have been a, uh, do you have to be a varsity Christian? Been to, you know, 683 services, and then you get to know God? What's it take? Uh, do you have to have a clean past to know God? Uh, do you have to have no sorrows or no mistakes, no failures in your life to know God? No, no, no. Um, is there anything about human distinction in here? This race, this ethnicity, this economic status, this level of education. Is there anything about this in here on who gets to know God? No. Who's going to know him in this, in this group? Everybody. This is amazing. Guess what this means? You. 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 Right here, this day and age, Fountain Valley, this little church, you. It blows your mind. The God of the universe has said you, doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are, you can know me. Full on know me. You can say to me, my God. Wow. Wow. It's amazing. And it reminds us of, I guess, the other side of the coin. Isn't there something wrong with a Christian who doesn't have this sense towards God? Is there something offline with a Christian who doesn't have this kind of warmth or intimacy with God? Is there, some, is there something out of joint if your view of God is just he's distant, he's over there, I know a couple facts about him, but that's all I want. Look what God is saying. When you know me, when you know me, we're gonna know one another closely. Look what God says in Jeremiah 29, 13. Jeremiah 29, 13. You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with what? All your heart. Do you hear what God wants in this? Is God content with you out there on the distance, 
hit a service once or twice, don't think about him most, most of the time, and just calling that is what it is? Or is he saying, I want you to want to know me more than you want anything else. Come and get it. Isn't that what he's saying? He wants to know us intimately. All right, those are the four things. You want to know God? I do. What do we need? Know him through, help me out. What was the first one? Covenant. Clear commitment. Know him through a heart change, humble heart. Number three, know him through forgiveness, sin removed. Number four, know him intimately, know him closely. What's the fifth one? Well, it's just a hint in verse 31, because Jeremiah says, Behold, the days are coming, which means that for his case, they weren't quite there yet. So there's one more kind of hanging, how do we know God like this? How's it going to happen? Yeah, l- let me take you to Luke 22. Luke 22, 19 to 20. Let me take you to Jesus' last supper with his disciples. As he's looking forward to the cross, let me take you there and let me show you what he says. Luke twenty two nineteen. Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Then verse 20 And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the what? The new covenant in my blood. His cross, the incoming cross, Jesus on the cross, he says, he's enabling, he is beginning, he is opening the doors on, he's fulfilling The new covenant right there on the cross. And this wraps it all up, doesn't it? You know, I said earlier, you know God through a covenant. It's a legal commitment. And what's God's covenant with you? We see it in the gospel. You know what God says? Um, Jesus says, well, you haven't really done enough to be right with God. And so here's the terms of the covenant. Who's gonna live the perfect life? Never sinning, never messing up. Who's gonna do it? Jesus will do it for you. Who's going to pay for your sins so that God's justice is taken care of, it's over? Who's gonna do that? Do you have to atone for your sins? Jesus is gonna do it. And he's gonna rise from the dead on the third day to show, to vindicate he's accomplished it. And so the covenant document is, Jesus is going to do everything that you need. And here's your response. What does he call you to? Jesus told us, right? God to love the world. He gave his only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So if you want to know God, here's the covenant stipulation. Here's the document, a clear commitment. God's going to take care of everything in Christ. And your call is to repent of your sins, turn away from all that, and trust your life to Jesus. That's the way to know God. The fifth and final way to know God is through Jesus Christ and what he's done on the cross. His cross is the covenant. Not only that, does his cross change hearts? 
look at the cross, you can see two things. You're gonna see number one, you're not as good of a person as you thought. Did Jesus get a slap on the hand to pay for your sins? Did he get grounded to pay for your sins? It wasn't enough. He took a cross to pay for your sins. It means the sins are, bad, are worse than we thought. And yet the other thing we see there as we look at the cross, it's not just the cross itself, but the reality that he's on it for you. What does that tell you about yourself? Well, that, and it tells you that you're loved more than you could ever imagine. You are loved more than you could ever imagine. That Jesus would go to the cross for you. And for all, I mean, I think that the biggest thing in this passage is to want to know God and to realize how often we haven't even wanted that and to see Jesus on the cross in our place for us, paying for all those sins, that changes hearts. It buys your forgiveness. I think that's clear. It buys your forgiveness. Every single sin you've ever committed, ever will committed on the cross. So God has nothing against you anymore if you're in Christ. It's been paid for. You're made right with him. You know, that, first, that fourth part about relationship with God. Does the cross bring intimacy? Look what Paul says in Galatians 4.4. 4. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. Why? That we might receive adoption. In Jeremiah 31, it was, you can call me my God. In the New Testament, in Galatians, and Ephesians, guess what you get to call him? You get to call him Father. Takes it to the next level. My Father. That's what you get to call him. Closeness. Don't you see how Jesus brings us all together? Jesus is the new covenant. His cross is the new covenant. He's the way to know God. He's the one who changes hearts. He's the one who brings forgiveness. He's the one who brings you in closer than you could ever imagine so that you could call God Father. So what are we going to do? We've seen, I guess, five aspects to what it means to know God. We've seen God wants to be known. And the invitation is out there for anyone. So what? Let's make the covenant, trust our lives to Jesus. Let's submit our hearts, humble ourselves before the God who is. Let's receive and enjoy the forgiveness we have in Christ. Let's pursue closeness with this God who calls us his Father. Let's have the heart Paul had. Look what he said in Philippians 3, 7. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of what? Knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Let's pray. Our Father, we confess how often we have not wanted to know you. But we thank you for how passionate you are about wanting to be known. And so I pray for our hearts today um, that we be convicted about our pride toward you, our distance toward you, and uh, we'd see what you've done for us in Jesus and your invitation to us to know you even yet, and that we'd come, that we'd come ready to make a covenant and trust our lives to Christ and say, we're yours that we would come, Lord, and you'd give us 
humble hearts. God, forgive us of our pride. Change us to where we want you, to where we love your law. Lord, thank you for the forgiveness that you give us in Christ and for the closeness, the intimacy. And warm our hearts, Lord, that in Christ, the reality, we can call you Father. And we thank you for Jesus and what he's done to bring this new covenant about for us, even here today. Help us seek you out, Lord, and find you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. And we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. For more information, visit www.fountainoflifefellowship.com.